You're listening to GGR Pirate Radio. Don't be a juice bag. Hello, fellow dreamer. I'm Mariah Beachboard, executive editor for sci-fi and fantasy content at Great Geek Refuge. I'm also host of Federation Conversations. Now, this is a very special new podcast series on The Sandman. This episode is called Permission to Dream, and it's a celebration of The Sandman as literature, art, and film. You're going to hear from two people, GGR's very own expert on comics and art, Professor Rambo. And he'll talk about the comics, art, and content, and the transfer of comic to screen. And I'm very excited to tell you I had the fabulous opportunity to interview the actress who played Rose Walker, Kiora. And some of you may be wondering about the different names she's used. I actually prefer to go by both. I'm kind of actually in a little bit of like a contemplation about that. So uh, it's Vanessa with like a soft V um, and Kiora is Kiora. What I found inspiring about Kiora is she describes herself as remembering who she is and allowing herself to be who she is. More from her in a bit. But first, let's go back to the beginning where this whole journey began, the 1980s and 90s Sandman comic series. While there are many spin-offs, the main series is 10 books, starting with Preludes and Nocturnes as book one, and then The Kindly Ones as book nine, and The Wake as book 10. In the 90s, Rambo says, Culturally, Sandman was inescapable. If you if you knew anything about comics, you, uh, and certainly, you know, comics in the last, well, at the time, like 20 years, but now like, you know, 30 or 40 years, um, you knew that Sandman was a big damn deal. But what is it exactly? What exactly is the Sandman comic book series? Honestly, it, it's maybe one of the best, like, primers for on Gaiman. Um, because it is so clearly him being like, I'm going to put down all of the things I love and all of the things I'm interested in and just like jam pack them into that comic. There are so many different layers to that story um, in terms of like the particulars of certain mythologies, the, the, uh, the, the, that, God, there are so many like niche DC references in that book. DC as in DC Comics. In fact, Gaiman took huge liberties and played around with the world of superheroes through his comic book stories. And you're going to hear Rambo say the word retcon. I didn't know this, but retcon, according to the internet, is a piece of new information that imposes a different interpretation on previously described events often used to facilitate dramatic plot shift or account for some inconsistency. From what I can tell, Gaiman truly loves playing with retcon. The reason Cain and Abel are in the dreaming is because Cain and Abel each hosted, and, and like, and they each have their respective houses, the House of Mystery and the House of Secrets. Well, Cain and Abel each were hosts. They were like, like the kind of crypt, the crypt keeper, basically, for these... DC anthology stories, one called the House of Secrets and one called the House of Mystery. And there are all these little characters like Brute and Glob that show up in the comic. Those are all characters from the old Kirby Sandman series. John D in the first arc 
of uh of, of sandman and also shows up in in this in the first season john d is dr destiny he's an old justice league villain who i think had i i think it was something like like originally it was he was able to like manipulate people's minds and like either cast illusions or like change their dreams um and the retcon for it uh was that he had either a version of dreams ruby or he had like a sliver of it and that is how he was able to to do it hector and light light a hall you talk about like masterful adaptations the fact that dc was like or, or one of us was like we're going to be kind of like hands off on the dc stuff for the sandman adaptation so you basically can't really do any of those characters in the comic you know, you have Hector Hall as the superhero Sandman in uh, in the Dreaming, um, or in in I think, uh, or him and Light are both are both like like kind of existing in a dream, and in the show you end up adapting that into Rose's little brother. There are uh, put it this way: if you see anybody in like a cape, if you see a character that even sounds kind of familiar they are almost certainly some kind of specific reference to someone. Uh, the, the version of hell that, that Morpheus goes to is the version of hell that Alan Moore had been writing in Swamp Thing. Jo uh, Joanna Constantine in, uh, in, the, in the TV series is John Constantine um, from Hellblazer in the comics. That's like sort of just scratching the, the surface in terms of the things you would get. It is a, a story that is steeped in, in like DC mythology, uh, DC history. One, one of my favorite stories is it's actually from a, a, like a seven issue mini series they did after Sandman finished, uh, I believe called endless nights. And during one of the stories, I mean, it's not even favorite story. It's favorite moment. During one of the stories is so it's it's seven stories and each of them is told about one of the endless, um, being you know dream and destiny and, and and death and so forth. And one of the stories there's this big party eons ago, and there are you know with the endless being physical embodiments of sort of human ideas, uh, conceptual ideas like you know death and dream there are physical embodiments like humanoid embodiments of things like stars and nebula uh and and things like that and there is a conversation that's being held kind of off to the side between despair and this uh sort of red humanoid figure and despair is saying something along the lines of like you know i i think there's something really beautifully tragic about someone having being the only survivor of an entire planet like being the the only one to have uh made it uh, and and having lost their entire race uh and and not just their entire race but their entire culture and literal physical home and the the sort of red being is like that is very interesting and the red being is rao rao is the sun that Krypton orbits. Despair is the one that gives Rao the idea to allow Krypton to die and Superman to live. 
No fucking way. <laughs> like, that's the kind of thing you get from this story is these like little tiny hint. like it is it is like the most proof positive of Gaiman being a giant fucking nerd is there are so many deep minor cuts that only certain people if they pick up on at the exact right moment will even see but if you know you know like if you can find it it's there which is really fun and interesting and and being able to to pick up on those things and be like what the fuck like that is bananas like the fact that you would even have this character make this reference to something in this particular place and yeah it's just it's so fucking wild i love the audacity of that to say that you know this story i'm creating is creating the canon idea that the impetus came from one of the characters I've I've developed. Like to have that sure. kind of overreaching um effect on that headcan. It's just that I love that. That's that's I'm kind of mind blown right now. So it's my words trippy, are not right? <laughs> Yeah, it is super trippy. What, so like if you know it adds something to it. If you don't know, it doesn't remove anything from it. Oh, wow. And that that is such good news for me who's coming to this as a as a new reader. I have so much more I can look forward to in finding all of these nuggets that are out there in this this universe. Yeah, there oh. are, and there's plenty of them. But what about the mythology and literature? I came to Sandman, the comic book, just recently after I watched the show, and as a major in theater, I picked up on the Shakespearean references immediately. But if you're not immersed in that world, the Sandman comic book series can be a dense ride, as Rambo has put it. Regardless of how you come to it, though, it's guaranteed to be a different ride each time you come back to it with a little more knowledge about culture, the world, and, well, everything. My my initial read-through of it, there were times I was like, God, this is a lot. Uh, and and it was at times tough for me to get through just because there is so much going on. And 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 I am not a, a huge student of literature. Um, like I've not read much uh, Shakespeare or, uh, or any of the sort of classics. But the older I've gotten and I've been able to kind of pick those things up through osmosis, being able to look back and see like, oh, that's reference to this. And and that character is from this book or this story. And and. Um, this ties in here and like the foundation of that story is human culture and, and, and to some degree mass market culture and just like how all of those things interconnect and, and tie back to uh, this sort of central figure in Morpheus. Well, there, there's a literary foundation, but there is a genre foundation for the story overall um, that adds all this depth to all these different things. Like, I don't think comics need to be legitimized, but does end up legitimizing um, because you have something so, so much like comics literature. I mean, it is one of the best examples of comics as literature we've ever had.
So my next question for you, you know, the artists are so different and going from the kindly ones to the wake, it was very jarring because yeah. the, the art in the kindly ones is, I don't, I don't know the real word to describe it, but spunky and less shading, less tragic looking. And so then you go to the wake and the the best example of it is is seeing delirium in the kindly ones and then seeing delirium in the wake and you realize that yeah she's super cute but she's also in the wake got these huge circles around her eyes and and even from the page the eyes are staring into your soul yeah so of all of the artists that got to touch the sandman who's your favorite my favorite artist that worked on sandman is probably a toss-up between Matt Wagner and Chris Bocciolo. Like, like Wagner in particular has, has sort of like an angular style to his, his characters. More, more sort of like sh- like sharp chins and, and, and jawlines and things. And Chris Bocciolo does, maybe not so much at the time, but he has, they're realistically proportioned characters that are very kind of rounded off. Uh, there's, there's a very like cartoony feel to them in general. It's it's always funny to look at uh, like a modern artist, or at least an art, art artist now, and then look back at their old work and see like, oh, this is way before you had really developed this style, and so it was just sort of slowly creeping in. So so they're two of my favorite artists that worked on Sandman. My favorite artist that actually has work in Sandman, like the specific the work they did in the Sandman comic might be Mark Hempel who drew the kindly ones because he has such a clean like minimal approach to character the the image of Morpheus with the um the cloak that looks like fire I absolutely love that I love the the very angular like long face he gives uh, Morpheus the the sort of like overall more like exaggerated kind of cartoony nature he has in his characters really appeals to me. Sandman is one of those series that is very interesting in the way that the art is approached because it's so different. Um, Like early, early on, a lot of the artists have very sort of similar aesthetics, but the further on you go, it becomes this sort of like, like hopscotch of, really different aesthetics and particularly when you go like like you were saying from the kindly ones to the wake like the art in the wake is some of my favorite in the series period overall because i feel like it it takes the sort of like scratchy pen and ink renderings from the earlier part of the series but they look more refined the character work is more realistically rendered without being like beholden to like particular kind of like a particular kind of model I can absolutely see why how it could be like kind of jarring to go from like book nine to book ten. You're like, whoa, that's not what I was expecting that to look like now. But Delirium is one of, is also one of those characters that you can you can have so many different takes on her because the nature of that character is so kind of ephemeral and she does shift and change so much, you know, sort of in, even in her like almost like day-to-day life. And and then you have characters like Death, where like her design is so simple and so clear that you have so much room to play with her. All she really has to be, if she's if she's going to look like a human, is 
kind of a goth girl with the sort of like a, a like curly cue on her on her uh, under her right eye, you know, and, and mostly dressed in black. The the art in Sandman is definitely like wide and varied. There's so much to pick up, and in that way, there is some kind of something for everybody. So, speaking of visuals, what did you think of this season? Goddamn, that show was so, so much better than I expected it to be. In particular, he loved the way they called back to the comic panels in a way that wasn't intrusive. They do an excellent job incorporating um, these comic visuals in a way that is uh, really deftly handled. The scene where Morpheus escapes in the, what is it, like the second episode, maybe? Um, or maybe even the, the first, I, I honestly can't remember. But that is like the colors, the framing of the shot, that is exactly what the panel looks like. Um, I mean, shit, when Dream is first captured and you get that overhead shot of him laying within the circle, that is exactly what that panel looks like. Rambo also loved the casting. Yeah, everybody did such a fantastic job. Uh, I was thoroughly impressed with everybody. I thought that Jenna, Jenna Louise Coleman was maybe one of the best performances in the show. She plays Joanna Constantine. And from the second she walks up to that dude who's like, like she, she comes in the club. She looks at the guy on the ground. And she's like, what the fuck have you done? Like her delivery was so spot on. I just, I was so excited. I'm so excited to see more of her. Like, I, I honestly can't remember if Constantine shows up anymore in the show. It's funny, I'm also, like, I've called him Constantine for years. And I knew that secretly, like, all of the Brits were like, it's Constantine. And, and <laughs> all the Americans were like, no, it's fucking not. Uh, and, um, but it's, like, started to kind of rub off on me because of the show. My favorite was his comment on Tom Sturridge. Did Gaiman just, like, build him in a lab? Like, what the fuck? That guy looks exactly like Morpheus. <laughs> It is disturbing in places how much he looks like him. Like when he's in the bubble and he's just sitting there like all pale and naked, you're like, yeah, that's that's just like a Sam Keith drawing that came to life. Like what kind of weird witch's curse did somebody place on this dude? All in all, he felt as I did. Like it was a fantastic show full of beautiful visuals that was true to the spirit of the comic book and really called back to the story in a way that was transcendent. I yeah I I thought they nailed characters in a way that was both really important and really impressive. There's a degree of accuracy and specificity that I didn't quite expect to to show up. Um, mostly just because there's there was things they didn't have to do that they did. This begs the next question: What do we hope to see from the comics in the next season of The Sandman? And thank goodness there's a season two, because I don't know if you were feeling the way I was, but when we were waiting for Netflix to decide, it was agony. And now that we get to have a second season, I want to see Delirium, a member of The Endless who wasn't even mentioned in the first season in the Netflix show. Her ramblings and incoherence make her few moments of lucidity and wisdom so poignant, and I can't wait for the opportunity to see that on the screen. As for Rambo, he wants to see several things, starting with, spoiler alert, destruction. 
He's the brother described as the prodigal in the show. He's the one who left and hasn't been heard from. I'm really curious to see who is going to play Destruction. Destruction as a character is is one of my favorite concepts in Sandman because he's just trying his best. He's really doing everything he can to be different, but he's you know the, the the endless aren't human at the end of the day like they can they can learn things and they can they can change certain aspects of themselves but the intrinsic like foundation of who they are is set in stone he can't create anything all he can like, that's why all of his art is terrible because fundamentally all he can do is break things down and it's played in such a way that it's very sort of like light and funny where he's just this like like just doing like shitty watercolors and bad sculptures and things but it actually is really kind of sad and tragic that he's kind of stuck in this place where he doesn't want to be anymore he also really wants to see how they handle wanda's story wanda's story can be found in book five a game of you in which the moon is a goddess who determines that Wanda is not woman enough to go on an adventure with Thessaly the Witch. Wanda is in fact a transgender woman and her entire story is heartbreaking. It's one of those stories that I'm I'm very curious to see what changes are made and how that story is approached. Because one of the big complaints is there are people that interpret the story as being overall transphobic. I mean, because the moon doesn't acknowledge Wanda being a woman, that Gaiman was saying trans women aren't women. From his perspective and what he said, you know, he's talked about, he says, no, my, my point was that sometimes even things like gods are wrong. It's another callback to the overall ideas of characters like Morpheus are not infallible like gods are not infallible they're they're they make mistakes all the time so the moon not recognizing that doesn't mean that it's not real it means the moon fucked up i love and that. that's that's a, and that's great but it's it is also one of those like i can't in any way fault somebody for reading that and going well this is transphobic this reads like this now, when I asked Kiora what she wanted to see in the series, this is what she had to say. You didn't have, you weren't exposed to the Sandman comics until after you got to the audition. But once you read through them, is there some story in there that really captivated you that you hope will be put on the screen? Uh, yes, actually. It was the, um, I can't remember which issue it was, but it's after uh, the doll's house um, where it's the dead boy detectives. I'm super, well, what becomes, what soon becomes that. Um, it's that story of like all the dead coming back from hell was so cool. It was amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. I really want to see this on screen. And I want to see the glorious big mansion that the boarding school is um, made, is situated in. Um, so yeah, that would, I really want to see that on screen by the way she woke up to a party in her house which you can hear in the background and um 
sorry, I'm not sure if you can hear that. There are people in my house. Um, <laughs> I can't, but that's fine. Okay. but um, Now, I also asked Kiora what fandoms she is a part of, and she seemed to be in a state of discovery, though she definitely loves anime. Harry Potter, and like, there's all of these things. With any fandom, I wouldn't, unless I actually watched the source material, I wouldn't know, because I've not watched a lot of these things that fandoms are a part of. Um, I haven't watched Harry Potter or read the books, and I haven't, a lot of other things, I actually just have never watched you know the source material so i don't have any fandoms that i'm too intrigued by at the moment i swear there's something there's something in the back of my head and i'm trying to remember it because i think oh i mean i like anime but <laughs> i don't know if i would say that since it's like there's so many types of there's so many i wouldn't say that that's a fandom in itself but if we were to say it was a fandom then yes i guess you could say i'm part of that <laughs> Yeah, that's totally a fandom. And you don't have to know all of the, the specific sub-fandoms to, to claim that as yours. So good for you. Many of us at Great Geek Refuge, you know, we're focused on um, supporting each other and and keeping gatekeeping out of fandoms and, and geekiness, like allowing anyone to come in at any stage of their immersion into their um, media of choice. But so many of us are diehard fans of something or or really cling to a particular kind of media because it got us through times when we were maybe, you know, have a lot of self-doubt or we're just sad for no reason at all or or just need something to encourage us and pull us through. So what art or media or whatever did that for you? For me, when I was 14, 15, I was getting bullied at school and anime was a really good... I was at a boarding school, so I couldn't... I literally couldn't escape this. Um, but I anime helped me you know kind of get through specifically uh the anime beyond the boundary um i can't remember the japanese name but it's an anime about a girl who is like i don't know what they're called a blood wielder but basically she's from like this clan that is extinct she's the last person and they they like control their blood like they just like you know there's like a little cut that she always like she opens up a bandage and then like blood just like comes out and it forms a sword and she basically just goes like and saves the world and kills things um and so that was that was literally like my everything at some at one point and we could only have our phones on the weekends so i had to so yeah so i was only able i had to go like down to like the library where the Wi-Fi was and then download all the episodes and then go back to the dorm and then watch it. But that that got me through um, some tough times. Oh wow, so you had to actually work to get to it, to that to that stuff that helped you through. Yeah, yeah. Oh wow. Oh, well, now I want to watch it. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> also, for all of you FedCon fans, I couldn't resist asking her if she'd be interested in performing a role in Star Trek. Oh, totally. I totally would. Um, I haven't watched it. Like, the few things I've seen were, like, tiny little clips in passing, like, years ago, if it was on TV and my mom was watching it. Um, but um, I totally would. From what I've seen, it looks really cool, especially, like, what's coming out now. Haven't seen anything, but I've seen the actors for it. Um, I went to an event um, in 
what's it called san diego um near at the time of comic-con and um i saw i saw some of the actors for star trek on on the little red carpet that they had at the time and i was just like oh my gosh you know it's the star trek people i don't know what's going on but it looks so cool um so i would totally do that i'll totally uh, consider it yeah Okay, so I see on your Instagram, you've put your pronouns she, her on there. You've got the pride flag. What inspires you to support um, the LGBTQIA plus movement and, and, and those kinds of rights for people? I'm queer. <laughs> so, and I think I have a little bit of a journey with that because I did grow up uh, Christian and it's not like every, you know, because there's obviously denominations, there's not like every, there's all this complete hate all from all around but i did grow up with certain ideals being pushed on me and it's like oh you know this is wrong da, 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 da. and for, for the life of me i couldn't figure out why it was wrong i was like i don't understand it but of course you're a child you try to make sense of what's happening so i would try to kind of contort in my head why it could possibly be wrong and i would have to imagine like the wildest scenarios in order to create a hypothetical situation where it could potentially be bad i guess so i but like from the beginning i i was like this you know it's normal why why do you have to make a big deal out of it um and then i kind of like you know had my own little my little deal with my own sexuality where i was like okay so this is what's happening okay cool um i've just got to like accept this now and that's really just kind of what made me want to just that acceptance of myself but also not really wanting to hide it as well because like um i know sometimes you know people come out later on in their careers which is fine because you know people should come out when they feel comfortable but i never really wanted to just pretend that i wasn't um queer and be like oh yeah i'm just straight and like yeah so i just um that's kind of why but also just because it's me then like i i'm more compelled to be like yes <laughs> if i were to describe her with one word i would call her a dreamer what do you dream about for yourself like what what do you daydream about doing in your life uh-huh. um yeah thank you that's a great question as well <sighs> wow that was <laughs> I feel like that's I feel like that's a perfectly timed question. Um, oh gosh, I dream of so much. And it's scary to be honest, because I think there's so many boxes that were put in um that like we don't have. We don't naturally have those boxes. And then other people put those on us and depending on which place you're at in life, sometimes you kind of that box is like forced on you a bit easier because you know it's a caregiver who's telling you this or you're not in a position to really just make your own decisions fully or whatever it is um so oh my gosh i don't know can you do I, that i love it so much because like i said before it's like being a part of your world i have no idea what they're saying but it sounds so lively it is very lively uh the speaking in shona it's my like my i'm at my uncle and aunt's house right now so everyone's just and there's some kids. Oh my gosh, I'm, <laughs> I'm wondering what they're talking about as well. <laughs> um, what's it called? Sorry. Um, so yeah, we get put into boxes. So I have, I have dreams. I have huge dreams, and I'm so scared of them because I'm like, oh my gosh, what if people just like see me as this? Like they put me in this actor box, which I never thought about before. 
before this year i never thought about it and then suddenly someone in my family was just like no you can't post singing videos of yourself because like people will get confused when they get to your instagram page i was just like what it was a hard time but um so I, I dream of being a singer actually um, I've got some music that I'm working on but like I don't just want to release stuff from my bedroom I want to be on tour I want to like sing and dance um, I actually would really love to be um, in a k-pop group actually so that would be probably like one of like my biggest dreams at the moment um, there's so much that I want to do creatively um, I want to produce my own stuff um, like television and movies um and i love writing so i'd really love to publish some stuff as well and i think it's so funny it's frustrating it's angering if i'm honest when you know people are so you know controlling about what you personally choose to dream about but um what i've been finding is that like it's just about reclaiming and coming back to who you are and that's kind of what I'm trying to do and just remembering and being like okay I don't I just need to kind of like allow for my body to stop resisting against what I want and just because it's there it's there naturally and if you take away the blockages like the, it flows and it's about kind of just coming back to what I knew before and and realizing you know because sometimes there are so many little factors that people try to like get you to worry about they're just like oh what about this and what about that and then that isn't helpful it's not helpful at all um especially because again you can't predict obstacles you work through them once they're there but you shouldn't pre you shouldn't like it's like you shouldn't like um imagine how big the dragon is going to be when you're going to slay it. I mean, it could turn out to be bigger, yes, but like, it's not going to do anything for your nerves, you know? Um, so that's kind of been my current thing, just saying, okay, I've got this. I've always wanted to do this. I wasn't, I wasn't a child who was fearful of this and I've just become fearful because of what people have said. So I have a lot of dreams and they are very important. And, but outside of that, outside of just like, big like life dreams you know sometimes our dreams can be so different you know e even just like you know owning a little coffee shop with a bunch of plants or going to the countryside every month you know I think it's it's so f painful that you know we as human beings um because of society and I suppose because of other people's fears are just kind of forced away from what we know and what we love but yeah thank you for that question yeah oh I love it you have so much wisdom I love the idea of not trying to figure out what the obstacles are before they even come like that's such a great image um that was, that's a great answer I love that I also asked her what what she wishes people would ask her in interviews she wished people had asked her what it was like to film The Sandman, especially because it was her first big project and she was only 19 at the time. I think at the time, like filming it was like kind of, you know, it was a completely new experience for me. And that was the first time I'd ever done anything for that long. Um, before that, I had, I didn't end up doing the play, but I started rehearsing and you know, for a play. Um, so, you know, I was doing rehearsals at that, um, bef like, 
the year before that and I was and that was went on for like maybe two months and then I was I did like commercials I did a short film but like other than the play the short films the commercials they were like two three days and not even consecutive days at that <laughs> um, so I going into it it was like this literal all of everything was new to me I didn't know how to digest a script fully in order to like film it um there's so much that I was just like I kind of had to navigate now I'm just like okay I know how to handle this because I've gone through this and I've also experienced other things afterwards I know how to I know what I'll do on my next project but at the time it was just like oh my gosh how do I do this and um I also was going through like a very like there was a lot of like stuff emotionally popping up for me so I was not sleeping well whilst I was filming um and it's so frustrating because I had this kind of mindset I think about suffering um before like in order to because like it's a great job I'm so happy it's a great job and I'm very early in my career I was 19 when I um booked the job and started filming um and you know, afterwards, I know that like I'm in a really a better position now. Um, so I was like, rather than just being okay with nice things happening to me, I felt like there had to be some kind of compensation for that. Um, and so I kind of didn't allow myself to just have an easy time. I didn't sleep enough, and I also have ADHD, so it was kind of hard uh, to go to sleep. Um, but yeah. Though sometimes it would be like, oh, you know, like, how are you? Like in the makeup trailer, hi, yeah, how are you doing today? How how much sleep did you get? Because they knew that I didn't sleep much. I'll be like, oh, I got an hour today. Um, so it's like so not fun. <laughs> and um, the life behind the filming, you know, I I don't think anyone knows about that or has the. Uh, can I say cared about it? I think obviously, yeah, but yeah, it was just, I trooped on, I, I got it done, so yes. No, good for you, man. ADHD is hard, it can be really brutal. Um, totally been there, not filming, but totally been there when ADHD takes its toll. So I hope you celebrated you for getting through all of that and succeeding and looking fantastic on the screen. So good on you. and. Um, I hope you get to celebrate yourself more in the future too, because it's important. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. But it wasn't all bad. In fact, she is truly appreciative of the opportunity and the people she got to work with. From what I've seen, because I've done some research, you guys, and, and this is true of most um, TV or film or whatever, you don't necessarily get tons of time to to spend with each other and bond. I'm from theater, so we usually like basically spend 24 hours a day with each other, you know, when you're putting on a show, that's an exaggeration, but you understand what I'm saying. So did you get an opportunity to spend time with your fellow actors that you were acting with? Did you get enough time? Did you have to fake it in a way? And how did you do that? Because it looked really good. Thank you very much. Um, I, we didn't get to spend much time together. Um, I, cause you know, each episode or just like you know there's little pockets almost throughout the series of groups of people who you know so for us we were lucky in that the dolls house people we were all it was like a constant thing like we you know we had our stable people that were in this arc so 
because of that we did we didn't spend time together prior um prior to filming um but we were you know together we were around each other like often yeah we were able to kind of like create a kind of familiarity and a kind of synergy that i feel you know uh worked well in that part for everyone else because you know i had my grandmother or great grandmother then there was lucienne there was morpheus for everyone else like it was actually kind of like just very you go into it and you just you're just thrown into it and you just start working um obviously if we happen to see each other like before the first meeting if we happen to see each other before you know we get on set then that's how it works actually my first scene with morpheus and lucien uh was at the it was in his throne room where i first see him and i was super nervous on that day um because that was my second day of filming and i was just like oh great i've just been thrown into this thank you i guess <laughs> um, and now i had to act against and then you know tom had been doing it for so long and and um, vivian had been doing it for so long and i was just like i'm just here and i spoke i saw them briefly you know though they, they were lovely i saw them briefly before filming and then i we just had to go into it um so it was like, yeah, you kind of have to do your own mental preparation before that. And then you've got to kind of mentally, you know, create that relationship and be like, okay, so I think it might be like this. Um, my relationship is different because I'm not his sibling. I'm supposed to be someone who's just met him and I'm just like, what the heck is happening? Um, but yeah, so it's not necessarily faking it, I, but, you know, just trying to create that mental environment in your head and do it all by yourself before you get there. But, you know, I think the best thing is always just spending time with people, isn't it? And it happening organically. Um, at least, at the very least, what I had going into it was Razan. She, um, because, you know, our characters are supposed to be best friends, um, she actually got my number or asked for my number before we were filming and we had a video chat uh, the first a few days before and we just like got on instantly and we would correspond you know from that point on so i was going into it and having like this actual like you know kind of friendliness with the person i was supposed to be friends with you know so that was really great that's so funny you know the character dynamic or the interaction that i enjoyed watching the most was actually you and fiddler's green that was oh. the sweetest interaction Oh, yay, I'm so glad. No, Stephen Fry, Stephen Fry is great. Um, so it was so nice because I genuinely enjoyed his company and he is, you know, he tells all these stories and he's so funny and he was making people crack up. And so, and he was genuinely just interested, like we would talk about things and he would be like, oh yeah, you know, what's happening in your life? Yeah, it was, he was genuinely interested in my life and what I had to say and, you know, I would listen to him. So it was nice to, you know, that genuine kind of like dynamic was there. Um, he's so, so, so lovely. And I had his number. I, I have not used my old phone in a while, so I've kind of lost it. Um, so I'll have to try and retrieve it. But yeah, he's just great. So I'm glad that came through. Kiora truly is a delight. And I really hope season two includes her in some way, even though Rose Walker doesn't have much to do in the rest of the books. However, those who have read the comics know how and where they altered the story to fit the I mean, screen. You know, Anonymous words brilliantly. Like that show really brilliantly handles uh, uh, adaptation, particularly considering 
how many things they were they had to just outright remove with Rose Walker in particular is a great example how you can rearrange and manipulate characters and and put them in different subplots and things like you know in the comic it's Rose and her mother that are are taking this trip that are that are going down to Florida and trying to to find her brother and that takes us to the 1000 cats short story why did they include it and why didn't they alter it fellow dreamer i really struggled with this episode here's rambo's response after i asked for his help in well getting it i i wasn't able to find anything specific about its inspiration i think it really comes back to two things gaiman's i think it's fair to say obsession with mythology uh, and the significance of cats throughout mythology, you know, in Egyptian culture, they were, you know, sort of acting as like guardians and 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 would help, you know, uh, like lost souls pass from, you know, the, the realm of living, the realm of the dead. And, and they feature heavily throughout a lot of mythology. And I think it's also in the comic overall, it, it's a one shot. It's a one little like one off story uh, that doesn't really, if memory serves, doesn't really pay off anywhere else it's sort of just like it's an isolated like i want to tell this one little story i think the other thing about it is it's testament to gaiman's concept that dreams have power beyond themselves um that a collective unconscious can literally reshape reality the fact that dreams are so important and means so much in that story uh, and has such a great significance uh, is, is not in any way understated anywhere throughout that story. And I think <laughs> that is a, a particular example of being um, very literal in that way. Uh, that, you know, at one point a human being had the idea that if we all, if we all band together, we all decide to have the same dream we can change our lot in life. Um, and I, I I wish I had more for you in terms of like there being sort of a, a secret meaning behind it. But as far as I know, Gaiman just wanted to write a story about cats who used to be, uh, 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 used to be in charge. Now they're sort of like put upon. Because if you think about it, like the way cats is in, in general do sort of behave, they do act like they own the place. There is a, a sense of like, you know, we used to be in power and we will be once again. And I, I, I imagine that was one of those ideas that he was like, what if they really were? What if they what if they did call the shots? And at one point, human beings just decided, no, we're not going to have that happen anymore. What does a what does reality look like to something that used to be a god and remembers when it was? That's exactly it. Not only is The Sandman a deep dive into Gaiman's own fandoms, but it is also a celebration of all that dreams can be for us. In fact, the Sandman comics and the Netflix show give us permission to treat our dreams, whether they be nocturnal or daydreams or nightmares, not as throwaway moments in our lives, but as important, valuable, and affecting experiences. I suspect Kiora will continue in her successes because she has hit upon a key idea. If we all remember who we are without blockages or boxes, can't we then give ourselves permission to dream? Really dream. 
I'm Mariah Beachboard, and I pray you feel truly seen by those you love. Until next time, journey on, and thank you for listening. The music you heard under Kiora's interview are her own compositions, and you also heard a little bit of the original theme music from the anime Beyond the Boundary. You also heard Noir by Kjartan Abel, Indie Punk by Burtz, Monotony and Little Pleasures by Satuna Man, and Nua Misaki's Just a Dream, all of which can be found at Freesound and whose work is used under a Creative Commons 4.0 share-like license. Hey there, listener. It's Mariah Beachboard again, just reminding you to stop by greatgeekrefuge.com to check out all of our articles, podcasts, and merch. And as always, don't be a juice bag. Thank you. Have a fantastic day or night. Morning. It's morning for you. It is so morning. Yes.